0: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Negotiation and on today's show we are speaking with Ben Robinson, Merchant Success Manager at Shopify Plus, mostly covering the Japan and Singapore region. We talk about how to successfully localize a product to be successful selling into the Japanese market, noting how they are really rather price insensitive, and how Japan is one of the most insular and protected markets globally. We also talk about how long it might take, and the strategies brands can deploy in order to build trust, which is difficult to obtain as Japanese consumers typically live in the camp that foreign brands just don't build products with the Japanese in mind. We discuss the differing social medias in Japan, and some consumer trends that have emerged in the last few years that are unique to Japan that brands should know about as well as their appetite for some of the trending techs coming out of the West, like cryptocurrency or clean tech. We talk about how to be successful on the Shopify platform in Japan, and the importance of getting delivery right, including not just when, but also what time. Enjoy.
1: It's really not ideal to simply have the one store that translates the language for all different regions. Specifically for Japan, I really would strongly recommend you set up a specific store that caters just to that market, so that you can tailor your your copy, your all your marketing, all your image assets. Like have all of that strategically within that one store.
0: Home to over four billion people, the Asia Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under-30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore. But entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on today.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. Really, uh, really happy to be here.
0: Tell everybody a little bit about your background with Asia, how you got involved in covering Asia and helping brands go into the Asian markets, which markets those are, and tell everybody where you are in the world right now while we're doing this recording.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. So, I, uh, I'm actually based in Brisbane, Australia. Um, I grew up for most of my life here, but before I actually spent majority of my working life uh, back in Australia, I was living and growing up in Southeast Asia, predominantly. Um, I'm, a, I'm a product of, you know, the Royal Australian Air Force sort of family life. Um, I lived in Malaysia for about six years. Uh, and a lot of that involved, you know, travel, travel around between Malaysia, Singapore uh, in the rest of the region. So it started pretty young. Like my exposure to Asia was really, I guess, a day sort of, sorry, I'll rephrase that. My exposure to Asia growing up was really just a daily thing. Um, and then progressing into what I do now with Shopify in particular Shopify plus, I work with a lot of our fast growing, large, um, Asian Pacific brands, um, on the platform who are both selling domestically, and uh, into other markets around the world. Um, The the majority of the merchants that I do work with are large brands from markets such as Japan, um, South Korea, the Philippines, Singapore, Hong Kong, just to name a few. Um, And that's really, I guess, the high level sort of where it sort of started as a kid and to where I am now.
0: Okay, can you tell us a little bit about what your job entails? uh, What kind of brands you work with? What size of brands you work with? What are they looking for when they come to you?
1: So in terms of the, the brands that I work with now, a lot of them are just high growth, um, high volume stores that are looking to, you know, obviously increase their presence in different markets. Some of the brands that I work with, unfortunately, I can't talk about, but some of the brands that are on Shopify Plus uh, in Asia Pacific, brands such as Koala Mattresses, it's an Australian success story. They've done really well and they've actually um, managed to localize quite successfully in Japan. Um, another brand that is um, heavily using Shopify Plus that has gone global, particularly in Asia at the moment, is a brand called Allbirds, which um, your listeners might be aware of as is, is a footwear company. Um, recently had a valuation of about a billion dollars. So very large brands growing very rapidly uh, and using our platform um, to, to help support them and do that. My involvement particularly as a merchant success manager at Shopify Plus is really just helping our merchants and brands get the most out of the platform. So basically we look at their business and we can see um, across all different areas of the business around their acquisition, their retention strategies, um, their text acts, you know, operationally how they're doing things, and sort of see, you know, where they want to focus their attention on and how Shopify, in particular, Shopify Plus tools, can help them um, achieve those goals or, or meet those those needs online.
0: So what does it take to successfully localize product for the Japanese market?
1: Yeah, so I guess a bit of background context for the listeners. I spent uh, quite, uh, quite a bit of time working with some larger Japanese brands, um, both uh, domestically, but also some brands that are trying to sell into the Japanese market. So I guess speaking from a general business and commerce perspective, in a word, I would probably summarize it as trust. So, business in Japan is, is really one on that, um, the concept of trust, and also knowing what's important to the Japanese consumer. Japanese consumers will typically prioritize brand trust, reputation, quality, and value over price. Um, extending beyond that, though, it, it really all starts with understanding the region and the consumer. So, Japan um, is, is really often regarded as one of the most insular and protected markets globally. Um, consumers there, typically favor japanese-made products japanese-made brands because the assumption is that they believe foreign brands and businesses know very little about their culture so in turn consumers are typically hesitant to deal with new businesses that haven't necessarily proven their commitment to that local market so a brand's ability to really provide a localized content and a localized strategy is really key um, in in winning that market so Doing that very early on is your very first chance to demonstrate just how serious you are and that you're willing to do whatever it takes to win their business, but also their hearts. So I guess looking at some practical steps that we'll probably recommend is the first point was probably really, really around researching and understanding the already established e-commerce ecosystem and realizing that what works in other regions of Asia won't necessarily work here. Uh the next thing is around tailoring your marketing and your copy and also your brand message accordingly. So looking at some of the really successful domestic brands in the market across all different industries, it's really important to look outside the scope of commerce. Um, and also pay attention to how they present their products, how they present their services, the copy they use, the type of models and assets they might use, both um Uh, online, but also in store. If you can successfully communicate that you understand the existing lifestyle and habits of the buyer, the trust will grow. That's the whole point. And your product offering will certainly resonate deeply with consumers in that market. The next point really is around getting your SEO right. Um, That's one thing that we really try and work with brands who are wanting to sell into Japan is Really nailing that SEO because without being you know fully and accurately translated, the region visibility will inevitably suffer. Um, you don't just want to rely on Google Translate. Keywords really do matter, and understand that um, there are different written systems in Japan. So really, if it's around SEO, I would recommend working um, with a local agency or a local partner. Um, on Shopify Plus, we have some really great partners in the market that can support and help with that. But one, I guess, really crucial point here that's different from other markets is that um there's a very strong presence from both Google and Yahoo. So in the in the West, and typically we're so exposed to SEO around Google, whereas Yahoo Japan is still very uh very if not equally as important. Um and uh that that makes a big big difference. So making sure that you tailor to both of those. I would also recommend um, that brands looking to expand work with local influencers. So working with local brand influencers through social media, that's a big one. Um, And then I guess the final point around it is that context is key. So typically Japanese consumers spend a lot of time researching uh, the products before they buy. So getting as much information about the product, its features, its benefits, wherever possible um, will really help. And I think a big way to do that is, uh, making sure that you're focusing on, um, the the major city in Japan, which is being, which is being Tokyo, that is a really solid gauge of the rest of the market and the region as a whole. If you can win Tokyo and you can tailor content, um, to that market successfully, um, you can essentially tailor it to the rest of the country.
0: Can you give us an example of something that, as you said, works in other areas of Asia, but wouldn't work in Japan?
1: So one of those things that I would probably pay the most attention to is around holidays and seasons. Um, Holidays and seasons are a big part of the culture in Japan, whereas holidays and seasons in the West probably won't translate as well in the market. So I guess an example of that would be uh, Valentine's Day. They do celebrate Valentine's Day and it's a very big consumer event in Japan, but they also celebrate what's called White Day. So White Day is um, essentially where the female will buy the male something and it's very tailored around that experience. That's that's very unique to the market. Um, another key thing is really being localized with um, seasonal events around things like the cherry blossom season. That's a really, really, big one. Larger brands and smaller brands alike will often um, opt for seasonal advertising that actually drive the sales. So this isn't really commerce specific, but uh, I guess an example of that would be Starbucks, so they 'll typically release limited runs of of seasonal products and create a lot of anticipation before releasing it um, and that really doesn't happen in many other markets in this way. they really do try and hyper localize products and i guess exclusives and 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 events around these seasonal holidays
0: our SEO and keywords in Japan, even bigger and more important than they are in the West? Or is it about equal or slightly less? And second of all, would you deploy or would you be recommending to your clients that they deploy similar strategies towards Google and Yahoo? Or are there nuances and differences uh, that they should factor into those strategies?
1: Yeah, so the reason that Yahoo Japan still really exists is because it's built that trust, right? So consumers still use it as a regular everyday search engine. Um, as well as their shopping. They, as I mentioned, they, they do tend to do a lot of uh, research before buying. So around the strategy for using SEO correctly in the market, I think the, the, the key thing here really is around making sure that you're using um, translations accordingly. Like you're, you're not simply running it through a, a translation tool. You're actually using someone who understands the market. You're, you're working with someone who understands Um, the right characters to use, the right type of, um, I guess, the right type of verbiage, the right type of um, localized characters and keywords that actually are relevant to the market. That's probably one example of that.
0: You mentioned that the Japanese consumers don't typically believe that Western brands understand their culture. Therefore, maybe have a mistrust of products going into the experience or the the first touch point with it, with a product that they may not believe that it was made for them or with them in mind. And that's just something that brands have to work to overcome. That work to overcome, how long do you think a brand typically needs to spend to overcome and build that trust?
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's worth noting that Japan actually has some of the longest standing and largest businesses globally, historically. So those legacy brands and businesses, there are so many more from Japan than any other market globally. And a big right. reason for that is because they have that established trust. They've, mm-hmm. they've been there from the beginning. It's uh, their household names. And another key, key thing to focus on is that 95% of the population is native born and speaking. So there's such a strong domestic presence that, again, if you're if you're not being hyper-localized, if you're not being very intentional around your marketing and your um, your overall strategy and how you present your products, it can break the trust really quickly. And again, I know I, I do touch on this subject of trust a lot, and it's it's always a common theme when I talk to um, both people in commerce and also the merchants I work with. But if you get that wrong from the beginning if you if you can't uh if you break that trust initially and things sort of fall apart it's it's very hard to to build that back up and that's why it it can take such a long time to be so intentional and do the research and get your translations right because yeah like i said if you can um if you botch that launch of a a brand or a business uh, i guess one example I, i can share is um, I think there's a really famous story of the brand Taco Bell um, that simply just ran their translations for their, their brands launched through Google Translate. They, they, they didn't actually spend the time to understand the consumer very deeply. They thought that um, they could just simply rely on the name and the, the historical presence of that brand globally. They could just essentially pick it up and drop it in that market and it would be totally okay. And the the consumers would come. But again, they just didn't do the research. They didn't spend the time looking at um, the type of customers. They didn't spend time looking at the translations and how that impacts it. And uh, yeah, they they weren't very successful. So I, I, again, uh, one common mistake that would probably come up um, is really just going and launching things too quickly, being too aggressive. I, I typically recommend that, Um, to the merchants that I'm working with trying to sell into the region that they spend that time and do the research and um, it will pay off long term in the long run because another key factor with with consumers in Japan is that they are very loyal. Once you've won the business, they're extremely loyal to the brand and that will pay off over time. Um, And that's across all different industries and different verticals. That's not just respective of of commerce. This can be respective of software. And you can Mm. look at the data around the the overall churn rates and um, the retention rates and churn rates are much, much lower in a, uh, in a market like Japan.
0: Is loyalty hard to lose comparatively speaking, perhaps?
1: I wouldn't say it's hard to lose. I think it's just important Mm -hmm. to not get complacent. I think Mm. one, one key thing one key thing with with brands and businesses, again, in, in Japan is around, as I mentioned earlier, being, being mindful of the seasons, being mindful around the events, just being hyper domestic with your approach. Really knowing what motivates the market uh, and the consumer at each, I guess, phase of the year. Really just not sticking to... I mean, I think one of the biggest things to be mindful of is knowing that it's okay to, to test an idea in different markets and just sort of see what the results look like. But in a place like Japan, it's, it's not really, it's not really built that way. You, you essentially have to um, see what works uh, domestically and be again, hyper localized. That's, that's how you do win and keep things, keep things going around that loyalty piece. Um, another big, uh, I guess another big big point to be to be mindful of is that consumers in Japan they they will talk they will share their frustrations faster than most markets. Like if they're not happy with a product or a service, where service is so highly regarded from especially from a retail standpoint, they will tell their friends. They will tell their following their social media. You know they'll they'll tell everyone about it because again the trust is so important. And if they don't get a good customer experience, you know that's um that's a sign that yeah, things aren't, aren't going well.
0: That speed to tell their network of a bad experience leads me to want to ask about the prevailing social medias in Mm. Japan and some strategies around how brands Mm. can build loyalty, uh, using those social medias
1: a point around social media in Japan is that it's unlike other markets. So Facebook, Facebook, for example, isn't as big as you think that's, that's not as large as you would think it is in Japan. So the the biggest platforms and social media tools in the country would be um, social media chat tool, LINE. So LINE, again, this I probably share an interesting story about LINE as as a tool, when the unfortunate uh, and tragic tsunami and earthquake that happened th- all those years back, the-, the chat application line was one of the only tools that was working at the time. It was one of the only tools that enabled people to communicate and stay in touch with family and loved ones and colleagues. And because of that, they've now developed such a loyal and um, strong trust and following. So that's just, I guess, a bit of an anecdotal point around that idea of trust in the market. But in terms of the hierarchy of what's um, what the pom- what the popular tools are, what the the most common social media apps are, it is again. So it's Lime, it's Twitter, YouTube has a very big presence there as well, uh, and Instagram is starting to pick up quite a lot of steam. Um, Instagram is used really well by uh, a lot of merchants in the market. Um, this this is probably one area that is growing and is evolving far more so than than Facebook. Facebook is often used. Uh, by a lot of consumers in the market, vent frustrations to share disappointments, um, and yeah, Instagram is still very widely used to promote. Um, I guess from a consum- consumer standpoint, promote what they've bought, discuss and share where they are. If you you know, if you look through some of the, um, I guess the the common trends of. Of users and consumers in Japan, they like to share what they're doing. They like to share experience. So uh, I guess a key point from a, um, from a way to approach the market is really try and drive those um, consumer interactions post-purchase. If you can drive them to leave a positive review or to, to share their experience, to film it, to, to whatever, and maybe, maybe even incentivize it, that will pay dividends because that localized trust angle, that will... Uh, that will work quite well from, I guess, a
0: loyalty perspective too. What are some consumer trends that have emerged in the past few years that are unique to Japan that brands should know about?
1: Yeah, so I think the first, so there's probably three um, that I would probably touch on. So those are cost, space saving, and luxury-centered products. So cost, people are a bit more cost, uh, more cost conscious of, um, the, I guess, when they're going through their buying decisions. It's worth noting that around 45% of people under the age of 25 are actually working part-time and they're earning roughly around $500 a month. So they are more cost-conscious. However, in saying that, they again value um, quality and I guess the brand trust over the cost. So it's an interesting way of looking at it. Cost is is a trend and it is a factor to be aware of, but... Um, it doesn't necessarily influence the overall buying decision, but just more so if you're a uh, if you're a brand that's often marketed to that sort of um, sub 30 sort of demographic, just being mindful of that sort of spending habits of, of the consumers there is quite important. Uh, it is also worth noting that Japanese uh, workers are often given a an annual bonus towards the middle of the year, so they're typically given a, an annual bonus um, of a, I think roughly around three thousand US dollars um, broadly each year. So that's, I guess, a way of looking at it from, uh, any kind of marketing perspective, what is something to be aware of around cost and spending? That is something to be, um, to be noted. So the second area around space, it's common for people to consider all options before buying. Um, but space and limited storage, especially in, in crowded cities is worth noting. So I would, uh, note that if you are um, describing your products and being very specific about them note and display the space aspect because that is quite uh, Quite a common trend that we are seeing and then the third is around luxury. So japan um, Especially major cities like tokyo, osaka uh, And in some regard kyoto There's a high density of luxury goods so a lot of domestic interest and spend in in high high end luxury goods is, is quite common. But I guess the the strategy and the note around that is don't be too concerned with price point. Really just focus on positioning brand value and the overall quality of the good itself. Um so that's probably the three that I would see being um like being the main trends. Uh, I would also again have to echo back to the, the holidays and seasons. That is something that grows and evolves every year. Um, and one thing around that is there's a lot of cross collaboration between brands and businesses, even in ways that you wouldn't expect. Um, there are brands that, uh, you know, uh, like say, for example, a, a backpack brand or an accessories brand that will collaborate with a cartoon um, from, from the, from the region and just like very different and strange collaborations that end up being extremely popular. Um, and they, they often tailor that to those, um, those middle of the year, as I, you know, as I was saying earlier around, um, those annual sort of bonuses that people get, they tailor around those, those annual events so that people are more receptive and, you know, outspending, and, um, that sort of is going on as well. I guess the other trends as well in terms of different verticals and businesses that I'm starting to see a lot more of is um, skincare. So skincare is, is incredibly popular, probably not as popular as the market in South Korea, but it's still, it's still very prominent. So skincare, but especially skincare brands that are uh, very uh, ecological, um, very free of chemicals and everything else, very, I guess, green and its approach do, do quite well at the moment. Um, As well as overall lifestyle brands, uh, they're doing very well and they're very highly relevant. So lifestyle and and travel to some regard.
0: Can I ask about some of the trends? Are they paying more and more attention to, like you said, being eco-friendly, being green? Is uh, vegetarian or veganism a thing there? Uh, Are we looking forward to clean tech um are they big in cbd do they like blockchain can you speak to some of those more hot topic uh type of industries and verticals japan
1: has a very rapidly growing aging population um the the younger demographic probably pays a lot more attention to things like uh how eco a product might be um sustainability in general um, overall health and well-being is is a big factor. Um, you can usually see that a lot through um, their social media at the moment. It's um, I think, I guess this is purely anecdotal, but I think one of the um, one of the new representatives in in government has uh, he's he's been very very um, open and transparent, which is quite uncommon for for I guess a political position in the, in the nation. But he's been very open around his stance on. Uh, climate change has been very open and um, sharing around his views and opinions on that And that's shifting the trend a little around the dialogue that people are having now I guess from a, from a technology standpoint around your, your point to, to blockchain and everything else. Yeah I mean the startup scene and the tech scene in Japan is is really thriving um, there's some Really co- great companies coming out of Tokyo. Tokyo is still probably the main hub of, of a lot of that activity Um, If you have any exposure or you're working with businesses um, around the Fukuoka region, they are again, having a really great, healthy community. I guess from a Shopify perspective, we have some really fantastic partners that are based um, and working all around the country, but predominantly in places like Tokyo. Um, But yeah, I think overall there's, yes, certainly an uptick in people's attention to sustainability and, health, well-being, um, uh, yeah, in that regard, I'd, I'd say for sure. But I think a lot of that from a strategic standpoint comes down to how you present it. So if you have a brand and a business and a product that um, you know has a lot of those attributes, has a lot of those um, components to it, I would certainly recommend really highlighting that front and center. A merchant that I worked with previously uh, was a skincare brand who have now successfully launched into the market um, and they, they chose to set up a dedicated store that was just for the Japan market that really focused, um, again, on that hyper localization, the translations, but again, they really focused on those key points around being, you know, eco-friendly and, and all those, um, uh, all those elements as well. And they're doing quite well. They're doing, they're doing quite well. So it's, um, they're another good success story.
0: How does the speed of the <laughs> Japanese market compare to that of the rest of the world?
1: although it's the third largest e-commerce market globally, just behind uh, the US and China, there's actually 80 million active shoppers. So that's, that's one thing to be aware of. Even though that is the case, it's often a slow burn to convert. It really does take time. It, it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. So I guess the advice I probably have for people is that you need to be patient. You need to take the time, be very prepared before you launch um, and realize that it, it's going to take some time. But once it does start to you know convert once you start seeing those numbers rolling in with customers and um in orders um it, it will be worth it because they are loyal to you it is also worth mentioning that uh japan really does have some of the oldest and largest brands and businesses on the planet like there's a reason for that and it's because they you know domestically they understand their customers um those brands have been around for a long time They're legacy names but they've held trust and market share for a very long time so in that regard um, changing consumer habit and overall attention is, is slower um, than other markets but not impossible it's just gonna take time
0: you work with brands to help them succeed on the Shopify platform in APAC I know you can't mention the brands specifically but what are some of the things that most successful brands are doing and how can they make the most of the platform
1: Yeah. So, I guess with regard to selling to Asia, one of my biggest mottos um, is to think regionally, but act locally. So, non-domestic brands that can understand and do this will really have the most success in this space. Being successful means that you understand the consumer in each country, respectively. Like, you're not just thinking that will work in this region of Asia, will work in the rest because that's, that's really not the case. Some of the things that brands are doing really well, some local success stories that I, they have mentioned that have started to expand really nicely into the market would be Koala mattresses out of Australia. They're doing some really great stuff at the moment around how they communicate that brand and overall message. As well as Allbirds from New Zealand, they've again been very, very intentional with how they approach the market what they do is that they ensure they understand all the local complexities and the business norms. Getting your business set up in Japan can be a process. Just really understanding the laws around taxes, the laws around privacy. Consumers in Japan really take privacy seriously, so really, really paying attention to that. From a from a standpoint on using the platform, Shopify has a really solid offering of you know local payment providers that integrate with with the platform itself. So one of the biggest. Uh, online payment method in Japan in general is actually convenience store payments. So that's when a customer uh, chooses to pay and pick up from a, from a local convenience store. This is called a konbini. So essentially it means that, you know, they have that flexibility to, um, to do that. And that's, again, that stems into the the privacy angle um, and just sharing their personal credit card details online. Customers in Japan, you know, across the board with e-commerce can be a bit cagey with that. Um, and again, like just by offering localized payment providers, offering localized experiences on the store really builds the trust. Um, it builds that peace of mind for customers. Um, not offering those, um, and not doing that from the beginning would be quite detrimental long term, and it's going to take a lot to repair. Uh, another point is around leveraging local apps. So on the Shopify platform, Shopify has a really thriving and healthy partner and developer ecosystem. So for anyone using it, I'd I'd certainly recommend jumping on and taking a look at the app store, seeing what localized apps exist. That is growing. Um, That is growing and evolving all the time. And um, there's a really healthy uh, Shopify ecosystem with with apps um, in Japan as well and throughout Asia, respectively. Um, From my side as a merchant success manager at Shopify Plus, there's actually a group of tools that we've built that, are able to help our merchants really scale and automate their businesses. Um, So really, you know, as a small, medium, or even large business, your time should really be spent on growing the business, not focusing on, you know, not, not, not focusing all your attention on those day-to-day admin tasks. Um, And that's where a lot of these tools that are on Shopify plus can help uh, help our merchants um, help our merchants do. And then I guess, lastly, around just getting the most out of the platform. I I typically recommend um, staying up to date with our product updates and releases. Our our teams really want to make commerce better for everyone um, in all these parts of the world. And, you know, really want to give that best possible solution to do just that. So as a merchant success manager, a big thing for me is that I, you know, I like working as an extension of my merchants brands. Like I really want to help them really get the most out of the platform because before, before joining Shopify, I was a large merchant myself. I, I helped grow um, a business really quickly that has now you know, gone on to do some, some great things. But it took uh, a lot of you know, diving into the materials available online, speaking to other merchants, really just um, diving into the community and looking what others are doing and, and having that dialogue, um, especially with, with brands and businesses that have already done that in different markets. That really does help as well.
0: What is conversion and retention strategy like in Japan compared to other markets?
1: Yeah, I guess in in most regards, it's it's quite similar to other markets. Um, Just expect a slower ramp up. I guess the good news is that once you've won that business, they are more loyal. So, you know, if you're in the software space, um, the churn rates are often much lower. Um, But simply put, just put in the hard work at the start and be intentional and it will pay off. From a strategy standpoint, I'd really just pay attention to seasonal events when you're selling, um, but also exploring tools that generate uh, customer reviews and feedback. So really building that out early on will increase that trust. And probably more importantly is just having a dedicated online store set up to serve that market exclusively. It's really not ideal to simply have the one store that translates the language for all different regions, specifically for Japan. I really would strongly recommend you set up a specific store that caters just to that market so that you can tailor your, your copy your all your marketing all your image assets, like have all of that strategically within that one store.
0: What is the landscape like for delivery for e-commerce and commerce in general in Japan? And how do brands get that right?
1: Yeah, so delivery is crucial. <laughs> delivery is really, really crucial in Japan. Um, the, the expectations around delivery is that as a consumer, I expect to be able to choose not just when uh, my delivery is going to come, but what time. So <laughs> there's a lot of complexity in that. Um, you really need to make sure that you're very clear with your delivery itself so on your online store make sure that it's very black and white here's our delivery policy here's the way that our deliveries work here's the expectations really just over deliver on what deliveries look like in that market from a Shopify perspective we do offer and work with providers and solutions to help you get that set up and to get your deliveries um, squared away so that does, uh, that does make life a lot easier. But what's really important is just over communicating your, your logistical and, and shipment policies to your customers um, because they really expect um, everything to arrive on time. And really, it's actually quite an amazing industry. The delivery industry in Japan is something of, it's an art form, I like to say. There's some really fantastic, um, for any listeners, I would really recommend jumping on YouTube and looking at how the... Um, the shipping and delivery experience looks because there's been documentaries made on it. It's that specific. Um, But I guess, yeah, key point, just take it seriously. Don't take it for granted. Um, Because again, it's all about building that trust, right? And if you can, if you can really, really dial in your, uh, your delivery methods, um, I would recommend doing that. I would probably from a strategic standpoint as well, recommend that you look at using 3PLs in the market. Uh, I would probably avoid, depending on what your vertical, what your products are, I would typically avoid um, anything sort of shipments cross-border, that sort of thing. Really, if you can, having something kept locally in the market that is delivered in a timely manner will really help you out.
0: Okay. We've talked a lot about all the things that brands should do when they go to Japan. What are Mm -hmm. some of the mistakes to avoid?
1: Yeah. So the first thing I would say is don't botch your translations. Um, Again, I probably have touched on this a bit and I do talk about it a lot with my merchants, but just really get your translations down pat. Um, It's essentially game over. If this isn't rock solid out of the gate, don't make the same mistake that other businesses have done and just simply run it through a a translation um, service like a Google Translate before launching because that that just won't work. Um, So that's the first point. So on my second point, I would probably say that, yeah, have a dedicated store that serves just that market. Don't just have a a translation app or tool that um, translates your your global store. Having something that's dedicated is going to work a lot better for you. Um, The third point is probably around, you know, don't just go in too aggressively and don't rush the launch of your brand or your store. You really want to be intentional with it. You want to make sure that you've gone through everything. You've made sure that um, you're picking the right times to launch cause you can really capitalize on those seasonal and holiday events. Um, I would avoid any, uh, probably, you know, I would look at avoiding any seasonal event or holiday event that requires, um, the nation to go uh, outside their normal sort of working hours. I, I would probably be mindful of that. Uh, and I guess one of the most important points is that, um, you know, don't go in thinking that what works in other Asian markets will work in Japan because it really won't. It's a it's a heavy domestic market. Uh, it's very homogenous. Ninety five percent of the population native born, native speaking. Um, but I guess a lot of that does apply to the other brands that I work with in different regions and markets throughout Asia. I mean, Singapore, Hong Kong, the Philippines. Each region um, has their own nuances, has their own consumer expectations and behaviors and spending habits, and just really being intentional with that um that's probably one big thing is just yeah not thinking that just because something works here it's going to work there It, it really won't
0: ben thanks a lot for coming on the show wish you continued success uh both you and shopify in japan and the rest of the apac region
1: thank you so much really appreciate it thanks for your time
0: growing a company is hard doing it in a foreign market exponentially so the best piece of advice i can give you is not to do it alone when you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities and i sincerely hope that you do make sure you choose the right partners to do it with my good friends at wpic marketing and technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter china i hope you enjoyed this episode of the negotiation and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai